But today we're going to be actually in Isaiah chapter, uh, the end of chapter 8 and chapter 9. It's actually not up on the screen. Uh, Sorry about that. But the title is A Child is Born. And Isaiah chapter 8, we're going to look at verses 19 to 22, because in chapter 9, in the beginning, verse 1, it says, nevertheless. And you guys have probably heard that if you ever see a word therefore, you ask yourself, why, what is it there for? And then you look preceding what, what has just been said, and that's why the word therefore is where the same is true for the word nevertheless, biblically. Like, nevertheless what? Well, He had just talked about the darkness that the people were in, and really what we're going to look at this morning is the contrast between light and darkness. And so let's pray, and then we'll get into the word together. Well, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much, Lord, for your word. We just thank you so much for the light that you shine in our lives, Lord. We thank you so much for uh, saving us, for sending us upon the rock, for leading us, Lord. Help us to become established and grounded in your word and then being sent out wherever, wherever we are, whatever we're doing to be able to be light, God, for you. It's a dark world. People are in darkness, and they're living in sin, and they're miserable, Lord. Help us to be able to share the love and the hope and the grace that you have for humanity, God. And so as we look at these chapters uh, this morning, just pray that you'd speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So it starts out kind of dark and bleak in chapter 8 of Isaiah, verse 19. It says, and when they say to you, Seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. They will pass through it hard-pressed and hungry, and it shall happen when they are hungry that they will be enraged and curse their king and their God and look upward. Verse 22, and then they will look to the earth and see trouble and darkness, gloom and anguish, and they will be driven into darkness. So northern Israel at this time, the Gentiles kind of moved up there and settled there. And so they brought their pagan gods, their mediums, their wizards, all of these different dark things. And it was obviously a bad influence, right? The Gentiles settled there and brought their horrible influences around them. And so there's a lot of things here that it, it speaks of being in want. You know, they were, they were hungry, they were hard-pressed, there was darkness. I mean, they would sacrifice babies to Molech in the fire. They would play music so they couldn't hear the screams of the babies. It was horrible. And so it was incredibly dark during this time. But there was good news after this point. And that's what we're going to look at, chapter 9 verse 1 and 2, which says this. And this is Jesus' first coming. This is prophecy. Jesus' first coming is from verses 1 to 2, and his second coming is from verses 3 on. But Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 says, Nevertheless, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, as when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. That right there is good news. And a parallel to that that Jesus actually referenced was Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 16. Matthew chapter 4, verse 12 to 16, which this is what it says. Now when Jesus 
heard that John had been put into prison, he departed to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. This is the fulfillment right here in Matthew chapter 4 from Isaiah uh, chapter 9. It says, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of sea beyond the Jordan, uh, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach to say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So what happened is it was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, and here's a fulfillment in the New Testament in the Gospel of Matthew, which is pretty astounding, and it's amazing. You know, this upcoming Wednesday night, uh, uh, Tim, he's not in here right now, but he's going to be teaching on the prophecy concerning Jesus' birth. Prophecy is a huge part of the Bible, right? Without it, you'd be get ri- getting rid of like a third of it. So prophecy is huge. So here was a prophecy and here was a fulfillment, right? Jesus fulfills all his promises. He said, it's, he, said he was a light and he is the light of the world, which is amazing. You know, oftentimes, instead of looking for those who are hungry and in darkness and whatnot, instead of looking for sort of unbelievers, Sometimes Christians try to convert Christians. You know what I mean? They try to try to get them to see things there. I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to convert them. But it's like they, they argue and they debate about things, and it's like there's a whole world out there of lost people, of hurting people, of hopeless people that you work with, that you may be irritated by, but who need Jesus. And that's why they're such is such in a they're in a miserable, sad place. There's a whole world out there of unbelievers. Christians don't need to convert Christians. We need to go out to the lost. That's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is not go convert some Christians to be better Christians. I remember one time I was out on the street and some guy came up to hand me something. Oh, yeah, I'm a pastor. We started talking about the Lord. He's like, but did you repent? Are you sure you're saved? How do you know you're saved? Like he kept on me, you know, and I'm like, dude, after a while, I, was, I just kind of like walked away. I'm like, he's trying, you know, Christians converting Christians. Go after the lost, man. There's so many people in darkness, our family, our friends, our coworkers. It's like. That's who we need to shine the light of Christ to and reflect him to them, right? And so, so that was the first. This is a fulfillment of Jesus' first coming. And then verse 3 and 4 is a fulfillment of his second coming. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 3 and 4, You have multiplied the nation and increased its joy. They rejoice before you according to the joy of harvest, as men rejoice when they divide the spoil. For you have broken the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, as in the day of Midian. Jesus' second coming, yoke and the burden, you know, uh, because why? Why was there a yoke and a burden? Because Israel rejected God. And in verse 5, for every warrior's sandal from the noisy battle and garments rolled in blood will be used by, uh, for burning and fuel for fire. Here's Armageddon. Jesus wins. Let me just get to the chase. You know, cut to the chase. Jesus wins. He's coming back soon. Actually, after we're done with the Gospel of Luke on Sundays, which uh, I'm just going to say this around, it'll probably be the beginning of 2024, uh, which will start the next book, which we're, uh, it's been heavy on my heart. I'm going to go through Revelation on Sundays after we get through uh, the Gospel of Luke because I want us to see how all this 
connects. And, and pro- again, prophecy is so incredibly important. So there's a first coming, verse 1 and 2, a second coming in verse 3 to 5. And then verse 6, and of course, when you, you think about this season, like most people focus on this, but I wanted to give you a precursor of that. Um, and in verse 6, we'll take, this, uh, we'll take this slow in verse 6, for unto us a child is born. A child is born. That speaks of Jesus' humanity. And as we're going through the Gospel of Luke, we are seeing Jesus' humanity, his compassion, the fact that he needed, he needed food, the fact that he needed a place to stay, the fact that he, he actually was in need because that was his human side, right? His humanity. A child is born. And that's really what we celebrate this month, but we celebrate that every day, that Jesus was actually born into this dark world. A light was born into the darkness to to eradicate the darkness. And I'm thinking about, I I was able to uh, pre-screen this this movie called uh, Jesus Revolution. It's It's about the Calvary Chapel movement and how they reached out to the hippies and it was absolutely amazing. Like, um, it, you're gonna cry. Like, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. It was like I went with like a bunch of pastor guys, and you know, afterwards, my pastor friend Daryl was like, "Man, I don't know what is in here, but there's like my allergies are acting up." Like, dude, it was like it was it was a bunch of guys in a line trying not to cry, acting like just they're scratching their face. But it was it was because it was powerful. It was good tears because you saw how God took the hippies who were destitute and, and, and hungry and hurting and looking for fulfillment in all the wrong places. And you see them hear the gospel and it's just a revival. They're like, this is actually it. This is the answer, not what we're doing. This is the answer. They were in darkness, but they'd seen a great light. It, it's, it's amazing. And again, we're gonna, we're gonna view it as a church in February. We're gonna rent out a theater and be able to go and see that movie together, but a child is born. That is good news. A child is born. A son was given. Jesus, he was born, but he already existed, right? We see God in the flesh. We see his humanity, and we also see his deity, right? Can you understand it fully? No, he's God. We're not. We never will, and that's okay. Some things about the Lord we don't understand, although we know a lot about him and his heart because we have the whole word of God. But a child is born, a son is given. The greatest gift, he is the greatest gift on this earth. My, my, this year, my daughters have been wrapping presents for like two weeks straight. Like, like every day they just wrap presents. I don't know what they, I think maybe they're just wrapping up their stuff in there. I don't know where they get, they're just wrapping presents. They, they, they're so, and the other day I was talking to my oldest, Hannah, and I'm like, you like, you really like giving presents, huh? She's like, yeah, I love giving presents. I was like, do you like it more than getting presents, like receiving presents? And she's like, oh yeah. I was like, why? She's like, because I like looking at the smile on people's faces when they give them the presents, you know? And I'm like, that is the sweetest thing. And I'm like, wrap all that you want. I don't care. Wrap up my stuff and give it back to me. That's fine. But, but she, she, just, she was so overjoyed with seeing uh, the, the face of people. As she was Like we went to Thanksgiving, and we had Thanksgiving and Christmas and my in-laws, and we exchanged presents. And she didn't even care about the presents she was getting, right? She just wanted to give and then look at their face to see how, see how they reacted. Like she wanted to see that joy on their face. And I love the fact that God has given us the greatest gift who was Christ. And that should undoubtedly lead to a joy that this world does not give. How, how, how many times have we tried to search for joy? Even as Christians, tried to search for joy apart from Jesus, realizing there's nothing there. 
There's no joy apart from the Lord. There might be some temporary laughs, some jokes, some sarcasm, whatever, but actual joy that stays, that is Jesus, the greatest gift given to humanity. It also says the government will be upon his shoulders. Jesus will be preeminent. And if you want to talk about the preeminence of Christ, definitely go and read the book of Hebrews. It's amazing. He is in control. So many times it seems chaotic. So many times when, you know, Sarah and Gwen and the whole family were going through it, it seems like, where are you, God? Like, I, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm like, I understand you're going through difficulties. You're like, Lord, are you there? Are you working? And you're just crying out to him. Meanwhile, all, all the while, he is actually in control. It doesn't seem like it. it might not, you might not even see it. It might just seem chaotic all the time, but you know he is in control because he's sovereign. He said he was. And whatever promises he's given you, they're going to come to pass. He's not a promise breaker. He's a promise keeper. He is. And so he is preeminent. He's in control. And another name for him is wonderful. You know that word wonderful? It's actually translated beyond human uh, comprehension. Wonderful means beyond human comprehension. Like, I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm just so overwhelmed by who Jesus is that I just have no words. I don't, I don't, sometimes I'm describing or I'm teaching and stuff. I'm like, the words don't do him, him justice. I wish it was some other way, but like, I'm just, I don't even know what to say right now. Thank you, Lord. He is beyond human comprehension. That's why we don't rest upon our own understanding, right? We look to him because he understands it all and he knows it all. We don't. But Jesus was the son that was given, government upon his shoulders. He's wonderful. He was sinless, right? Tempted at all points, but yet without sin. And also counselor. He's our counselor. Jesus revealed to us God's will and he makes us to know the heart and mind of God. And so he always pointed people to God. And on his earthly ministry, as we're going through the Gospels, we're looking at him, and he's healing. He's doing all these amazing things. But his whole purpose and goal was to, so that people would know the Father. He pointed to the Lord. He focused up first. And so he's our counselor. And don't get me wrong. Like, I think, I think human counselors, are to, human Christian counselors are totally fine, um, stuff like that. But at the we should go to God first. Go to God first. Lord, what? What do you want me to do? Lord, what's going on? I don't, I don't have the answers. I'm going through it right now. Help me, please. He is our counselor. He will meet us right where we're at. And I love the next one. He's our mighty God. Jesus is God. Read the Gospel of John. If you doubt the deity of Jesus, read the Gospel of John. And unless you want to erase half of it, you have to believe it, right? So he is mighty God. And again, it's like, how big is your God? How, is he limitless or is he limited? Oh, God can't do that. Oh, he can't change that person. Is he, is, he, is he incapable? Like, is he limited? Is there only so much he can do? Sometimes we, we don't say that, but sometimes we act like that. Oh, well, God can't save that person. No way. We just kind of give up. But God is a mighty God. He can do anything. He can save anyone he wants. Like, he is mighty. And I think... One of the things we've lost in today's society is a reverence for God, a seriousness for the things of the Lord. People are flipping about it, like, oh, God, oh, whatever, who cares? Like, that Christian's so stupid. You know, people are just irreverent, and therefore they're in sin, or they half obey, or they're, or they're cultural Christians. It's like, no, he's a mighty God. He needs to be revered. We need to fear God and say, Lord, you are in control. I'm not. I'm going to follow you. So Jesus is God in the flesh. First John 5.20 
it talks about Jesus is the true God. It's, it's an amazing verse, 1 John 5.20. Jesus says, when you have seen God, you have seen the Father. And so if we go, what is God like? Look at Jesus. <laughs> what did he do? How did he, how did he react? How did he treat people? And Emmanuel, right? Also, we know that from Isaiah. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is with us wherever we go. And here's one that's, um, it's not controversial, but everlasting father, it's not the best translation. In the Hebrew, it means aviad, which actually means the father of eternity is a better translation. The father of eternity, meaning he's the creator of all things. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, was God created the heavens and the earth. That word God is, is translated Hebrew Elohim, which is plural, which speaks of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It always existed. And so it's pretty amazing from the beginning, before the beginning, <laughs> there was Jesus. And this last one, really, I think a lot of us have to remind ourselves, because he is, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. There's no, there's no truth, peace without Jesus. He's the prince of it. Like, we look to him. And how many of us know that? We try to find peace in so many places, so many areas, even so many people. You can't find it. There's no peace there. It might be temporary. It might be it's fleeting. But true peace comes from Jesus. If people are in turmoil and they, and they come and ask me for a prayer or counseling or something, I'm like, well, are you looking to his word? Are you seeking Jesus? Are you? No. Well, then that's the problem. <laughs> Because he is the one who gives us peace. Now, the world will preach peace and safety, but it'll come to destruction, the Bible tells us, right? There's none out there. You guys have probably searched, and if you haven't, trust me, there's no peace out there in the world. Uh, true peace comes from Jesus. And this one verse that I absolutely probably share every few months uh, is incredibly powerful, and it's a good reminder of really who Jesus is and what he gives. In, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this. And there's so much in this one little verse, but John 14, 27, he says to his disciples, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. It's available. You know what I'm saying? Like Jesus, his peace is actually available. And he says this, not as the world gives do I give to you. There's a huge contrast. As we're looking at Isaiah chapter 8, we see the darkness in the world, false gods, things that people look to that leave them hungry and destitute, alone and empty. But the peace that comes from Jesus is fulfilling. It's a rest that we cannot get from the world. It's a rest that you cannot get from your spouse. I'm saying you, your spouse is not your savior. If you, if you try to put those expectations on them, they will fail. You know, it's only Jesus. He is our true peace and our true rest. And so what did you say? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. How in the world do we do that? <laughs> there's a lot of trouble in the world, isn't there? There's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of difficulty. There's a lot of things right outside of that door or right on this phone that if we look at it, we'll just be troubled right away. And our heart will be in turmoil. And I think the way to curb this is to focus on Jesus 
is to seek him, is to stay in his word, is to stay gathered together, which I'm speaking to the choir. This is what, this is what we do. And it helps us to, as a reminder, that there's no peace that could come from this world. I mean, I, I searched everywhere. You probably searched everywhere for that peace, for that rest. Didn't find it. But, you know, in the manger, that, 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 that night when, when Jesus was born, it's like the Prince of Peace, here he is. And that was a promise fulfilled. You see God's heart through this whole thing? God's heart through this whole thing is that he would send Jesus to be born, to live, to die, to rise again so that humanity can have hope. And the Bible describes hope as hope that doesn't disappoint. It doesn't mean I hope this happens, but it might not, right? It's not a worldly hope, an earthly hope. It's a hope that is sure. It's a peace that is real. It's a rest that we can get from nothing else in this world. So if your heart is in turmoil, look to Jesus. That He is the answer. He is the answer. And so many times we're like, no, no, it's got to be something else. No, no, this person said this. This book says this. this. No, look to Jesus. He is the answer to your peace. He is the answer to, to, the, to the problems, to the unsettled heart that, that you have. As we're going through things, I mean, I, I remember, man, I went through some uh, tragedies before I was a believer. I wish I had Jesus. Looking back, I'm like, I had nothing to hold on to. No one around me was Christian. They had no comfort to give me. They're just like, sorry. <laughs> And it was just hopeless, and I was helpless. And that's why Jesus was born. That's why he had his earthly ministry. That's why he died. He died for you and for me so that our sins could be eradicated, so we can be forgiven. I mean, there's no other way, but God made a way. And that's what God does, right, where there's no other way. You don't see any light. You're in the midst of the hardship, like Job, and you're just like, I, I don't see any light at the end of any tunnel. Like, I just, I just see darkness all around me. Is there anything? Lord, is it? Yes. He's working. Even though we don't see it, even though we don't, like, feel it, even though we don't feel God sometimes, even though we feel like we're in the desert or in the valley, in the darkness, walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he's still with us. And Jesus being born really points to all of these promises being fulfilled. God does what he says. I would just say, and again, I'm speaking to the choir, but we're human. Sometimes we doubt. Sometimes unbelief creeps in. Sometimes we're like, we limit God. No, don't doubt. Don't let unbelief help my, remember the father, he said, help, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And he will. He'll fill us up. He'll lead us. He'll get us through any and all storms that we're facing. And I was just talking to someone earlier, and I was kind of like, man, what? Can we just, I wish we were just like, everything was good like all the time. Like from this, you know, six months without a trial. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> that would be awesome. I would, I would love that. But I don't know how my faith would be after that. I think maybe I'd be lax and be like, well, everything's good all the time, so I don't need to trust God. It's through those storms that we learn to trust God even more because we don't know what to do. We don't know what's going to happen next. And so trusting God, our trust is forged in the fire of affliction. It is. And, and, and I don't wish that or pray that on anyone. I don't want anyone to go through trials. But even our church, you guys, like locally, like us, Calvary Chapel Mobile, it is heavy right now. And it has been for a while. A lot of people are facing a lot of things. 
And it's like, Lord, where are you? And, it, and it's difficult. But the answer is always look to Jesus. Seek the Lord. You're saved. You're set apart. He's doing a work. Trust him. Again, our, our trust is forged in the fire. He is refining refining us, right? It's like when they, when they have silver and they need to refine it, they put it in, in, in dross and all the impurities float to the top. They take a ladle and they scoop it out and they throw it away until you have that perfect metal, right? And so that's what God's doing in our lives. And it hurts. And oftentimes we do not like it. And we don't not want it. I remember this one, this one pastor, I'll never forget it actually. He said when his, his little daughter, I think she was seven or eight years old, and, and, and she got cancer. And, and he remembers being in the uh, hospital, just, and he, he was like, they, they, they said they could do nothing. And that was a point where he's like, I went in the hallway, I sat on the chair, and I said, God, no matter what happens, no matter if she stays on this earth, she lives or she dies, I'm going to trust you. I'm not running away from you. Like he purposed in his heart right there to stay trusting God and not let the trials chip away at his faith. And he, they tried everything. They tried everything, and the daughter went to be with the Lord. And it's, it's so difficult, and so many things we don't understand. But you think, about, you think about Job, so many things he didn't understand. About 90% of the questions he asked were never answered in that nine-month period where he was afflicted. But he never forsook God. He was emotional. He went through it. He, he did have some doubt and stuff like that, but, but his faith carried him through. At the end, he was more blessed than at the beginning. He went through the hardest thing we can't even imagine, but he kept the faith. And we can too because we know God is a promise keeper, right? And so we see this prophecy in Isaiah that a child would be born. I love the time that went right now because we see the whole picture. You know, back in Isaiah's day or even back in Jesus' day, the first century, we see the whole thing. And it's absolutely amazing because it's encouraging, it's a blessing, and we know God always comes through. He always comes through, and he always will. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. You know, the Lord of hosts, is it's like a military term. It's like God is the, the commander, the, the, the leader of the army. And, and, and we're his people. We're his soldiers, like Peter talks about. You know, we're his soldiers just following him, doing what he wants because his promises are true, his judgments are right, and he is the one who can only, the only one who can give us that peace and rest that, we, that people long for. And just this alone should encourage encourage us enough to go out and let people know this is where peace is. <laughs> this is, he is wonderful. He's counselor. He's mighty God. And he loves you. He knows all the hairs on your head. He knows what you're going through. He knows what you're facing. And he still actually wants to, wants you to walk with him. It's, it's just amazing, you guys. It's a blessing. It's encouraging. And so Jesus, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you, I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Let uh, Neither let it be afraid. He's got it handled. He's got it handled. So we can trust him, rest in him. We're going to go through struggles, but we're going to come out the other end just like refined and, and, and built in our faith in a way that we never would have been. And so let's stay focused on Jesus. Let's pray.